All right, away we go. Um, this this should be this will be interesting. Um, I, I had actually hoped to cover all of this in one lesson, but it looks like it's probably going to be three lessons. Uh, to look at the fallout of the garden because the whole point of going back to Genesis in the beginning was to help us understand where we are now. Where do we stand right now? Uh, last week we saw as God evicted them from the garden uh, that in a greater sense now they understood good and evil did they understand it before? Yes, certainly they did, but now they know it sadly experientially. Eve is named, skins are provided. The first death is seen by God's hand in his good provision then for Adam and Eve and ultimately looking forward to the ultimate provision the ultimate sacrifice that was going to be made with Christ on the cross uh, we looked at eviction from the garden actually being a grace a grace of God in that he is keeping them from eating from the tree of life and being stuck in their sin living forever uh, in their sin nature with no hope uh, last week, we started to look at what has been broken, man's relationship with God, uh, understanding that we can only come to God on his terms. It's his world, we're his creatures, and it's really arrogant to think that we can worship God however we want to worship God. Um, it's also arrogant to think that we can know and understand who God is without him telling us who he is. There. We can't make up gods in our own image. And that's what false religion does. And we even see the hint of false religion in Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. A false religion imagines God on our terms. A false religion approaches God on our terms. We looked at last week the broken relationship that man now has with the world. Everybody understands something is wrong with the world when you hit a pothole, when a tornado rips through a town, when an earthquake levels a city, when a tsunami wipes out a harbor. We know something is wonky with the world. We long for San Diego. We long for 75 degrees and sunny. Uh, we long for mountains, uh, nice, nice. We don't want the turmoil. We don't want the problems. We do understand, though, that even though the world is broken now, that man's responsibility, man's dominion command from God has not been rescinded. So that is still in place. The world is our stewardship, and we are to utilize it for good. We looked last week at our broken bodies, that we are all born mortal. We are all born with a death sentence. We actually conceived with a death sentence. 
Our bodies fail us. Bodies fail us in utero. Bodies fail us young. When a child is stricken with cancer before he can even write his name. Our bodies fail us in our old age. And we understand because God has told us in his word in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5. That God is sovereign over our broken bodies. If our body is broken, it's not a surprise to the living God. There's startling passages in scripture. But it is what God has said about himself. So we're going to pick up here today with man's broken relationship with man. We've got a, a scads of verses ultimately to look through. Um, so I'm going to uh, call on everybody. If you don't want to read, say, yeah, no, no thanks. Uh, Corbin, Second Timothy chapter 3. Bianca, Leviticus 19. Elaine, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Arnold, Mark chapter 12. We'll stop right there. One of the first things we see about man's broken relationship with man is he's rude. Man is rude. Uh, it, it seems, I, I don't know about you, but man, it seems like he's getting ruder. Uh, hopefully that's not you. Uh, we're impatient with one another. We're intolerant of one another. Uh, social media is a place not for the faint of heart. Um, you, better, you better steal your soul. Uh, how bad is it? Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Please, Corbin. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's America. <laughs> Uh, sadly, uh, rude. Man is rude. Man is self-absorbed and all of the bad and horrible things that Corbin just read at the start of Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 are prevalent in our culture, but they're prevalent in our own hearts. Why? Because we are all about me. I am all about me. You're all about you. Okay, and so this is not what God calls us to. Um, man's relationship with man is broken, but God calls us to Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love, the, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves. We do. That is expected. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to eat. You're going to sleep. 
You're going to take care of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Well, it's just not my neighbor. So when the guy is rude to you, you know, sign language, no, no. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Did a whole sermon on that from Romans chapter uh, 12. Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 12. Um, Verses 14 through 21. That we are supposed to love those who really don't like us very much. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus is answering a question. What was the question? Who shall you love? Greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. And Jesus went, okay. You know, it's like some people, hey, what's, what's your top ten list? But let me give you five others here on top of that that are pretty good also. Well, here is the supreme one, love the Lord your God. And oh, by the way, on the heels of that is therefore, if you do this, then you need to do this too. You're loving God, but you need to love your fellow man. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's what Jesus just said. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. But our relationship is broken. And we want to be rude. And, and as Christians, we see in our relationship with the living God, we can counter that. Another way we see man's relationship with his fellow man broken is in the wretched Sin of abortion. Um, There is perhaps no higher rejection of the image of God in man than abortion. Um, More verses. Olivia, you got a Bible? Mm -hmm. Job 31, please. Katrina, Psalm 10. Beatrice, if you would, Isaiah 43. There, there is much, you know, the word abortion is not going to be found in Scripture. You're not going to find it. But you will surely find the principles. Olivia, you're in Job 31. And Katrina, you're in Psalm 10, just by a reminder. The principle of the evil and wickedness of abortion is replete throughout Scripture. And here are are a number of verses. Bless you. 
One more. Come on. There we go. Wow, four. Four shots. Usually it's just three. All right, Job 31, verses 13 through 15, please. comparing himself to his care of his servants. Job had servants. And Job recognizes that isn't the one who made me where? Where did he make me? He made me in the womb. Did he not make my servant also in the womb? Are we not equal? Yes. In the womb. This is where God made them. Katrina, Psalm 10 verses 4 and verse 8. Everything between 4 and 8 essentially leads up to 8. It's all kind of the same stuff, but Psalm 10 verses 4 and verse 8. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch the wicked does what to the innocent? The wicked murders the innocent. Who's innocent? You know, if, if you want to get really stuffy and arrogantly theological, you could say, well, none is innocent. All, you know, all are conceived in sin. But there is on this plane an innocence. Um, you know, if boom, I was I was to pull out a gun and blow Corbin away, Corbin has done nothing. Oh yeah, Corbin's a sinner. Yeah, but that's not my purview. We'll get to that in a little bit. So he's innocent with in regard to his relationship with me. There is none other more innocent than a baby in the womb. None. Isaiah 43, verses... That's okay. No rush. Isaiah 43, verses 6 through 7. I will say to the north, give him up, and to the south, not hold him back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by, by my name and whom I have created for my glory. Whom I have formed, even whom I have Okay. Where do people come from? Find them under a cabbage leaf or something? That's another one. Um, where, do, where do people come from? What does this declare? Very plainly, God makes them. God makes them. God creates human beings. How does he do it? Through the union of a man and woman. That has been the only way up until about the last 40, 50 years. Okay, that's it. Man and woman. God creates human beings for what? For my glory. For God's glory. You want to know your purpose? Your purpose is to glorify the living God. 
You are to reflect his image to the world around you. As the heavens declare the glory of God, so should your little body. Heart, soul, and mind. Isaiah 44, verse 24, declares the same thing. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. When, you know, when, when were you a you? When he started knitting you in the womb. Psalm 139 essentially states the same thing. So what are, what are, what are reasons given in the world today for destroying the child in the womb? For the safety of the mother. Okay. Life of the mother is in jeopardy. That's the big one. That's the one that, that's like the, the trump card. There are some countries where Down syndrome babies are no longer born. They, they're just not born. They're not born. You go, huh, we've eradicated Down syndrome. No, you've eradicated the people with Down syndrome. Down syndrome is going to happen until Christ's kingdom comes back. And all is made whole again. We destroy, we destroy the baby in the womb. Oh, but you, their life's going to be terrible. Their life's going to be wretched. Who are amongst the happiest people on the whole planet? Down syndrome people. People with Down syndrome. And what a, what a grace of God. What a kindness of God that they go through life with Snoopy feet. You know? Life is, life is an adventure for them. And we destroy them in the womb. Got three already. Why do you have three already? You know, the underlying sin is going to bring children about. It is. And there are consequences to our sin. One of the consequences to our sin is conception. There will be a baby from that. Do I heap sin upon sin by destroying the baby? But, but I can't afford it. The kid's going to grow up in poverty. Yeah, and pro-choice, that their main theme is it's choice. It's my choice. If I get pregnant and I just simply don't want the baby, I don't need to keep the baby. Because it's not really a baby, it's just a ball of tissue. Excellent. That will be the argument... The whole reason we started out the th looking at the things we looked at was to belay that argument. Now, they're going to ignore Scripture. They are going to ignore Scripture um, much to their harm. They're going to ignore the truth, but the truth will always come out. When Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle, know her? Princess sort of princess, doesn't want to be a princess, but is a princess anyway, uh, lost her, her baby, did, was it like no big thing? Or did she grieve the loss of her baby? She grieved the loss of her baby. Why? Because it's a baby! <clears throat> Anybody, any family that has lost a child in utero feels it. 
They know it. They grieve it. The only time it's not grieved is when it's unwanted. And it's, then it's an inconvenience. Um, so what is, what's the Christian response with regard to abortion? Don't do it. What else, though? Grace. 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 To what, to whom, to where, to when, to why? Yes. I, I honestly think that that would have been my first response before don't do it. Because I think that don't do it doesn't, you can't, whether, I mean, Scripture tells us that you can't expect an unbeliever to think or act like an unbeliever. And so when a doctor tells a woman who doesn't want to have a baby that it's not a baby yet, she doesn't have... Satan's whispering. Yes, I mean, and she has nothing to, else to base that off of and no moral convictions that say otherwise and no God to tell her. I mean, now I'm granted. So where's does, the grace? She does. So where's the grace? From us to yes. say, what does... At, at some point, that woman might become a believer. We, I have multiple friends who have been through this. Yes. One who had a baby, who didn't have a baby because she was raped in high school. Her parents said, you don't, have, you don't have to do this, and she didn't. And she has three children now, and she can't imagine the fact she's still not a believer. She still cannot, like, it still grieves her that having children and being a mother. So the Christian, the Christian response is going to go on two sides of the line here. Before, you know, while the baby's still in the womb, we want to help. We should want to help. If the woman's wanting to go, I need to get rid of this thing. We need to go, no. There's so many things that can be done. We can help you support the child. The church can help you support the child. We can come alongside. I can't raise this child. Then we can provide somebody to adopt the child. I think that's part of the problem, though, is that we don't. And then once the baby is born, they're like, where's the help? And, and oftentimes, it's not from the church. Pregnancy Help Center is huge to that end, okay? Yes. So that is what the church should be about. Now, the woman has aborted the child. Are there consequences for her after that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here is, again, is where grace, here is where healing, here is where restoration comes. It comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. The woman will experience no healing in her life. She can suppress it all she wants to. I think it's important to remember that not every woman is, has an abortion because she has an unwanted baby either. I mean, when you're talking about women who have abortions at, you know, 30 weeks, like they didn't stay pregnant for that long because they didn't, you know, want to have a baby. And so you have to say your lack of if a doctor tells you, if you have this baby, it's going to kill you, or this is slowly killing yeah. you, or whatever, and you say, I have other children, what choice do I have? And as a non-believer, I'm sure that that's how it feels. You have no choice. You that's have right. No, you have no option, and so you grieve a, a whole different yep. way. So, serious issue. And in our country today, the doors are going to get blown wide open for abortion access. Right now, and you're going to be paying for it. Okay, the laws are going to be relaxed. International aid to encourage this. A woman's 
reproductive choice. Women's health choices. This is what, what the euphemism is for abortion today. And Christians must speak the truth in our conversations with one another, in our conversations with our children, in our conversations with our coworkers. We must speak the truth with the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because again, they don't get it. They don't get it. On the other side of the age spectrum, we have abortion, and then we have euthanasia. Euthanasia is what? Giving them your life. Good death. Suicide. Good death. Very good. It means good death. You, Thanos, Thanos, any Avengers freaks in here? Thanos, death. You, Thanos, euthanasia is good death. Eucharist, good grace. Good death. It's a good death. It is old people offing themselves. Or it is old people being offed by their family or government. It is to hasten death rather than let the natural process of death take its course. Okay? Now, why would we advocate death, hastening death? Why do people argue for hastening death? Quality of life. Quality of life. I mean, you know, my brother is now... Uh, uh, paraplegic, almost quadriplegic. He can't hear. He can't express himself to people. His vision is becoming bad. What's that quality of life? He's in a nursing home. You know, Jeff, why don't you just... It, it's an injection, and then... You know, it's all gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. That's the argument that goes for it. Your quality of life stinks. What are some other arguments? For it. Compassionate. It's compassionate. How so? Well, you wouldn't let a horse that's maimed or struggling on the ground go through all that and be compassionate to go ahead and end its life. Why do we make humans continue to suffer when we have a, such an easy way to end their suffering? Suffering, pain. I'm in pain. Many people will seek euthanasia because of pain, unbelievable pain. I can't, it's a, it's a pain I can't fathom. He might be able to. David might be able to. The rest of us, probably not. Um, or for those who, childbirth, according to Brian Regan, that's like a 10 on the scale. And, you know, so perennial childbirth. You are in that perennial pain. Costs? <laughs> Healthcare costs, you know, this is really expensive. You know, you could save your family scads of money if you would just. Some argue that it's in self-respect to say, like, let me choose how, when I'm going to do this. Like, I have um, a friend who went through this about two years ago that one of their grandparents said, this should be my choice. Like, I don't want you to watch me go downhill. She's suffering from dementia and, like, her husband was all for it. Like, let 
her let her have the respect to go when she chooses to go. And I personal autonomy trumps everything. It's my life, John Bon Jovi. Okay, it's my life. So I should be able to whenever I want to. It's my life. What's the Christian response? It's not your life. The verses we looked at with regard to life and death is in God's hands. That is his call. Our days are numbered by him, by the living God. He has appointed each one a time to die. There is a time to be born and a time to die. That is in God's hands. God is sovereign over life. God is sovereign over death. So, somebody's suffering. What do we do? We do. Exactly. Proverbs 31, verse 6. Pastor preached just a few weeks ago on Abishag. What was Abishag's purpose with David? Proverbs 31, verse 6. Proverbs 31, 6 says, Give strong drink to one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Give strong drink to those who are perishing. Make them comfortable. Make them comfortable. You know, you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to drink the full cup of agony. If, if there's morphine you can take, take it. For the one who's suffering? Yeah. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but Abishag, the whole purpose of Abishag was to make David comfortable in his old age as he was dying. Uh, in 2 Samuel, verses one, verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14, David goes ballistic when an Amalekite comes in and says, Hey, I found Saul on the battlefield and Saul was dying and Saul asked me to kill him and so I did. And David said, who are you to raise your hand against God's anointed? And he, he slayed the Amalekite for taking that life. Saul in the previous chapter was trying to commit suicide. Great bow tie. Um, Saul tried to commit suicide in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 4. So, what if a person has become unresponsive? And, you know, the doctor has said cancer is ravaging their body. And there's, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do. Um, they, they will die. I mean, we can, we can put a feeding tube in and a respirator. They can't breathe on their own anymore, so we can put a respirator in. But essentially, we're just prolonging life. 
It is a tough one. And it's, it's, a, it's a question that everybody is going to have to come to terms with because it's there anymore. Because medicine, the way it is, can sustain people long past the point where they naturally would have died. I think those kinds of things have to be determined within the family themselves. Like, they have directives. Like, I don't want to be resuscitated or I don't want to be put on anything. Okay. Isn't there now, a difference between prolonging life and preventing death? So? Yes. Yes. That argument is almost the same argument, well, it's my body and I can do what I want. And so what we need to look at is that I would say from Scripture, I believe, okay, convictions, convictions I will die for, believes that I go, we can debate them. From Scripture, it's okay to die. It is okay to naturally die. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I don't remember what Scripture that is off the top of my head. That's one of my favorites. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death is going to come to all men. And so if there is nothing that is stopping it, it's like just around the corner, then I go back to the exhortation to make the person comfortable. That's the whole purpose of hospice. That's what hospice does. They make the person comfortable unto death. You know, how many people would love to go home and die rather than be stuck in a clinical hospital room where nobody can visit them now? Well, in, in the sense that people have to talk about it, I need to tell, like, my father has no resuscitation. He wants to just go when the Lord calls him. So if other people intervene and go against what I have asked for, those, that's what I'm saying. We have to have that yep. mandated yep. in a document so that people don't yep. supersede my choice. Yeah, like CPR. You know, a, a no resuscitate order means if a person has a heart attack and lays there, you just go, bummer. Whereas I would go, get on that guy. You know, I, I don't look at CPR as Herculean, man. You know, if I can, if I can get him breathing again, I will. You know, when this ticker finally stops ticking, you know, if this isn't doing any good, then praise God. Praise God. He took them home. But it's like if, if somebody cuts themselves, an arterial cut, hockey, skate, you go, oh, bummer. No, you're going to try and stop the bleeding and save the life. Difficult. Euthanasia. But euthanasia, the hastening of death, the taking of drugs to hasten death, is sinful. Is sinful. We can, there's a whole nother discussion of the good of suffering. What good is suffering? Suffering brings much good in scripture. Sometimes it is for the one suffering. Sometimes it is for those around the one suffering. These are things that we cannot see and comprehend, but God is doing everything in accordance with the counsel of his will and for his purposes. So capital punishment. Let's move on from there.
Again, hopefully these things just stir up huge questions for all of you and drive you into God's word and talking with your kids about them. Um, I would argue that there is a huge, confused inconsistency within liberal America, both politically and religiously, and they would turn around and go, there is a huge inconsistency amongst conservatives, both politically and conservative or and and religious uh, with regard to capital punishment the liberal position thinks what of capital punishment well it's a life who are we to take that life excellent okay yes okay that's where we go and they would look at us and go you're pro-life how can you be in favor of capital punishment? And so the, a lot of Christians are going to go, uh. So it's important that we have uh, a solid foothold on this. And it all begins in the beginning, Genesis chapter 9. If this is not the first place you would have gone, this should be the first place you should go. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. The scenario here is they are off of the ark. They have come off of the ark. The entirety of humanity, you can throw a blanket over them. They're right there. All of humanity, all of us, everyone in this room, in this town, on this globe, is descended from those folks. Those eight people who came off the ark. We are all descended from them. <coughs> to these people, God gave this commission. This is chapter 9, verse 1. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons, gave them the recommand, be fruitful and multiply. Down in verse 5, he says, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. Okay, for your life, essentially. If your blood is poured out, you die. I require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man. Animal slays a human being. Or if man slays a human being, God requires a reckoning of either of those creatures. He continues. From his fellow man... I will require, re, uh, require a reckoning for the life of man. God is delegating judicial responsibility, his sole judicial responsibility to man in the case of murder. I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Why is murder so serious?
We are all, everyone, created in the image of the living God. And as such, every human being is sacred. But if I, of my own accord, take the life of another due to my rage, due to money, getting paid, whatever, if I take the life of another with intent, we'll get to that here in just a moment, with intent, I have forfeit my life. I have shown a disregard for the image of God within hum humanity. I have slain an image bearer of the living God. To God, that is an affront. And your life is forfeit. And for you to understand that, I now put that responsibility on your shoulders. Which is why capital punishment is not some ha <laughs> vengeful satisfaction. It is a very grave situation. Uh, I, I like the Civil War and was reading about situations like this where a troop was, have, was having to be brought forward and executed. And for the commander, it was like the hardest thing he did. I mean, it was, it was, but it had to be done. It had to be done. The, those of a liberal religious persuasion will say, well, aren't we just perpetuating the cycle? Doesn't murder beget murder? Aren't we just murdering that guy? No. Why not? So what is the difference between me killing Katie here and you executing me in the aftermath? Well, Justice. Justice? Well, God didn't tell you to kill Katie, but God's telling us to punish you for it. What's the difference between me and Katie? Intent, Intent innocence, guilt, all of that. What did Katie do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing deserving death. That is not in my hand by the living God. It is in our hand collectively. It is in the government's hand. Romans chapter 13 verse 4. That the sword was given to government to that end. We see that within the law as well. It is an exercise of cosmic justice. There are a number of verses and I'll just give them to you for the sake of time that indicates that the land is tainted by death of innocence. Okay? In, in God's cosmic plan, we go, oh, did, didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. Uh, comes right out of the chute in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. And you see it very plainly in Numbers 35, verses 33 and 34. And Psalm 106, 
verse 34 through 38. Numbers 35, 33 to 34, and Psalm 106, 34 to 38. So God makes plain in Genesis, he reiterates it. I'm going to flip to Leviticus here quickly. Reiterates it throughout his law. Leviticus 24 and verse 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Life for life. Leviticus 24, 17. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Well, and we see that in the Ten Commandments. Top ten. Thou shalt not kill. Murder. Good. Okay, thou shalt not murder. Because, again, we just said that there is a time to take life. In the dispensation of justice. What about warfare? Yeah. Well, the assumption on capital punishment and on warfare from a biblical point of view is that there is a just process being involved. Um, like we're not just saying capital punishment, as you pointed out, it's the group, it's the government, it's not me saying, you killed my brother, capital punishment, I'm going to come kill you. Or, we want to declare war, Bible decay, I mean, there has to be just reasons, processes. Thomas Aquinas, uh, a long time ago, um, developed just war theory based on scripture. I don't know, it's Sun Tzu. But, um, just war theory. When is it acceptable to fight a war? And how do we acceptably fight a war? And that has really permeated uh, American warfare over the years. But it goes back into scripture. Um, we, we aren't clear, just, we can't just go invading Canada. We don't like the Canucks. And so we're going to take the Yukon Territory from Canada. You know, and, and Wele, we're going to just destroy all the Canadians. Well, that brings up the whole question of the conquest of Canaan. Okay, what about the conquest of Canaan? That was dictated by God. It was dictated by God. I wish Ty was here. That's like Ty's biggest, he's got a boulder in his shoe about the conquest of Canaan. Just like, it just still. Women and children, everybody... Destroyed. And you go, wow, that's, that's awful harsh. But again, that's God's declaration. God was waiting for the wickedness of the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all the Amites, to be filled. God is doing multiple things. God brought punishment to Egypt through Israel. God brought punishment to the land of Canaan through Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 22 to 24. Warfare. In the New Testament, when Jesus Christ is dealing with the Roman soldiers, does he rebuke them? Does he, is he disgusted by them? 
Does he turn his back on them? No. No. But he tells Pilate he would have no authority. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the Roman governor. But but to all of the centurions, the centurions who exercise faith, the one at the foot of the cross said, surely this is the son of God. The other centurion sent leaders to Jesus. He didn't even want to come as a Gentile. So he sent the leaders of the community to go, hey, could you heal my servant? And Jesus Christ was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, come, and, I'll come and do that. And the servants were like, no, no. You know, he is, as a commander, he understands your authority. You know, he tells us to go do things and we do it. He goes, you can, you can, he believes that you can do it right from there. And Jesus Christ is like, I've never seen such faith in Israel. He doesn't go, ah, oh, you're a soldier. Stop being a soldier. doesn't say that. John the Baptist, when he is talking to the soldiers, he's just telling them, do your job fairly, justly. Next week, we will pick up with self-defense. And then we will look at broken marriages and God's intention for marriage and again, the whole purpose of this is coming out of Eden. We have to look back to understand the chocolate mess that we are in right now in our country and around the world because we are trying to do things that we think are right. They seem right to us. Well, that's not a surprise. That it's going to run contrary to the word of God. Sometimes we're going to get it right because of the image of God in man, and other times we're going to get it really, really wrong. And so it is imperative that we appeal to God and his word.